Hey there, and welcome to the Brave Marriage Podcast. I'm Kinsey Dozinski, a licensed marriage and family therapist and certified professional coach, and this is a podcast for couples who want to grow as individuals, do marriage with intention, and live mutually empowered, purposeful lives. I'm especially passionate about helping couples in their first few years do marriage well from the get-go, but regardless of whether you've been married two months or two decades, I'm so glad you're joining us today. And I wanted to be sure to say thank you to you, the listener, who rated and reviewed the podcast recently, saying, I'm so happy to have found this podcast. The topics discussed are so relevant, not only for newlyweds, but also for those in longer relationships as well. Her suggested challenges at the end of each episode will help you and your partner grow to a deeper connection and understanding of one another. The best listen for any relationship. So thank you again for taking the time to leave that rating and review. You don't know how grateful I am, and I just wish that I could know more about your relationship and what you're doing well and what you're being challenged by. As some of you know, I've been fasting from social media for Lent since March 6th, and it's made hearing from the Brave Marriage community even more meaningful. Like somehow I've been able to be more present and connected without social media than I was before. I'm sure I'll share more about that in a future episode. But for today, as promised, we are wrapping up our Sexpectation series with Sexpectation number 10, which is, My spouse owes me something sexually, or on the flip side of that, I am obligated to meet my spouse's sexual needs. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Do you personally believe this? Some of you might be thinking, no, that's ludicrous. I only want my spouse to want me out of his or her own free will. I would never expect that my spouse owes me something sexually or that he or she has a duty to meet my sexual needs. But some of you might be thinking, well, yeah, I mean, kind of. When we got married, we vowed to be sexually faithful to each other for life. So therefore, yes, we do owe each other sexually. And some of you might be thinking, wait, now I'm confused. (laughs) I agree with both. So what is an appropriate sexpectation to have? Well, in today's episode, I'm going to set this up for you scripturally. In 1 Corinthians 7, 3-5, Paul writes to the church at Corinth, a city with a reputation for sexual immorality and division within the church, saying, The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another. Now, here's what I know about human nature. I know that each person listening just heard those verses through their own filter and bias. Some of you might have been nodding in response. Some of you may have bristled. And some of you, who maybe didn't grow up in the church, might have thought, what the? I've never heard those verses before. Whatever response you had, we all have a tendency to read scripture through the lens of our lives and cultural context. But where we have to be careful is in making the text mean something it doesn't mean, i.e. interpreting scripture to mean my spouse owes me sexually or I have a sexual duty to fulfill. Now, you might argue, but Kinsey, that's literally what the text says. 
that we're not to deprive one another of our sexual rights in marriage. And I would agree with you that yes, that is verbatim what the text says. However, to make this mean something like my spouse owes me or this is my spousal duty only takes into account the principle of the matter, not the actual heart and soul of it. Our sex lives in marriage are only reflective of God's design for sex if the scripture is interpreted through the lens of mutual self-giving love. In other words, the only thing I'm concerned with as it relates to what plays out in your marriage is your faith being expressed in love, period. That what you believe is showing up in your marriage, in your sex life, in a fruitful, not an unfruitful way. Practically speaking, I want you to ask and answer this question for yourself. If I decide to give myself sexually to my spouse to fulfill a prescribed role or duty, am I giving myself sexually out of a wholehearted, well-differentiated, loving place, or out of a half-hearted, less-than-whole, resentful place? Also ask yourself this question. If I desire to be close, connected, and intimate with my spouse sexually, what posture do I need to take on in my marriage to be the most Christ-like in doing so? A posture of entitlement or a posture of humility? So as you think about that, let me continue. In the chapter right before this, Paul says to the members of the church at Corinth, You are not your own, so glorify God in your body. What he's saying is our bodies are first God's and our spouse's second. Our bodies are not our own. But rather than this meaning that we're to surrender our bodies blindly to our spouses sexually, instead this means that because we belong to God, we are individually responsible for stewarding our sexuality well. Going back to 1 Corinthians 7 where Paul talks about giving each other your conjugal rights and not depriving each other, He doesn't say, now women, listen up, this is what you're entitled to, and if your husband doesn't give you what you want, you have free reign to treat him however you want. He also doesn't say, now men, you deserve for your wife to meet your every sexual whim, and if she doesn't, it's because she doesn't love you and therefore you're entitled to treat her or behave however you want. So please don't read this text through the lens of what your spouse needs to do for you but instead what you're called to do for your spouse. In other words, focus on taking the plank out of your own eye before trying to take the speck out of your spouse's. Okay, to the Galatians and the Corinthians, Paul says, Husbands, take on a posture of valuing your wife because she is one with you in Christ Jesus. I am calling you to lay down your life for her, using your freedom in Christ to serve her out of love, not to use your marital privileges as an opportunity to satiate your every sexual fantasy or selfish desire. Why? Because you are first God's and then your spouse's, and as you mind your own body and steward your sexuality, you are called to love your wife as yourself. After all, as he says to the Ephesians, no one hates his own flesh but cares for it, right? Likewise, wives, make love to your husbands. Use your freedom and your equality in Christ, not to gratify the desires of your flesh, but to respect your spouse for the man he is, loving him, 
as you love Christ. Why? Because you're one body. And not only are you two called to become one flesh in marriage, but the picture of your marriage when you're focusing on your own heart becomes the best picture we have on earth of the relationship between Christ and his bride, the church. In that context, marriages thrive, sexuality becomes a gift, both husbands and wives are empowered, and other people's lives are touched through what marriages like these model. But too many times I hear couples use verses like these against each other, and every time I think, do you really think this is the good news? That this God-inspired text was intended to dangle a certain standard over our spouse's heads? As if to say, meet this or else, or you have to do this for me because I want it, and if you don't, I'm fully entitled to harbor bitterness and resentment against you and treat you unlovingly? Do you think that's what it was meant for? Because that doesn't sound anything like the gospel to me. You know what that sounds like to me, honestly? Our culture. A distorted, legalistic version of the truth to justify a quid pro quo arrangement, where when you meet my needs, I'll meet yours. Unless you do this for me, I won't do this for you. And if you don't do this for me or meet my sexual needs, I'm entitled to feel eternally disappointed and angry because this isn't what I expected or signed up for. Now, I'm being a little dramatic here, not to say your feelings don't matter, not to say that marriage isn't hard or that what you're going through doesn't count because it does. And I know there are those of you listening with stories that warrant sensitivity, not sarcasm. So if that's you, what I've just said isn't for you. Got it? But I did want to bring these things up for the sole purpose of drawing your attention to any cognitive distortions or emotional reasoning you may be giving into without realizing it. Because believe it or not, I see these cognitive distortions creep up often in my practice and biblical distortions in our culture and church at large. And I see the negative, even damaging impact on couples' sex lives and relationships. And here's what's so hard about this for me. I don't believe these distortions show up because of malintent. I really think they show up because good-hearted people share well-meaning messages that get passed down and do damage over time. I took a psychology of religion class in undergrad that I would say was probably the second class ever that actually taught me how to think for myself which is always what I aim to help you do on this podcast. But what I realized by studying religion in various faith traditions is that as soon as someone's faith becomes principle-centered rather than person-centered, relational breakdown isn't far behind. And to be clear, I'm just as guilty of following principles as the next person, right? My intentions are good, and I truly desire to do life as God intended, And so, give me a set of principles or rules to strive to attain, and I can really feel good about myself pretty quickly, without having to do the hard work required for meaningful growth and change. But life and marriage, to be honest, quickly taught me two things. One, as much as I would like life to play out by the book, or to be loved perfectly by my spouse, or even according to biblical principles, 
that's just not going to happen the way I want it to because I'm limited by my own human nature and so is my spouse. So to hold myself or my spouse to my own ideals of how much or how often or in what way I believe our sex life should look is to simply lose touch with reality. And number two, building off of that point, insisting that this is how our marriage or sex life ought to be is never going to get me closer to the relationship I desire, the sex life God intended, or draw me closer to my spouse for that matter. Because as soon as I achieve that, based on my own pushing or pulling in hopes that my sex life matches up to what Paul says sex should be like, I've lost. And I think this is where we as humans sometimes get this twisted. We think we're doing well by holding on so tightly to a principle-centered marital or sexual ethic. But the moment we hold another person hostage by these principles is the very moment we distort the gospel and use what was intended for our good as a control tactic. And so, our hearts subtly shift from valuing relationship to valuing religiosity. And so, when sex is used as a standard to uphold, rather than as an expression of love for the other, or when sex is given out of this is what a good Christian wife should do instead of out of a place of I freaking get to have sex with my husband and because I love him, this is how I desire to give, or when sex is expected as more of a contractual obligation than out of a pure desire to feel close and connected and intimate with each other. What people who hold these expectations don't realize is that they're inadvertently choosing to die by the sword of their own religious principles and in the process, taking their marriages and sex lives down with them. So friends, my question for you today is, is your theology translating into a love life that elevates and empowers each other sexually and leads to your spouse's freedom and flourishing? Or... Is your theology playing out in a way that devalues the other and leads to your own disillusionment and disappointment? Because the former is what we're aiming for, right? And you guys, I've watched this play out beautifully for couples. When two people take responsibility for themselves, for their own actions, and posture themselves before their spouses with humility, their relationships flourish. Once couples genuinely get this, it's like suddenly their growth is exponential. And the next thing I know, they're ready to take on the world together. And if I'm getting fiery today, it's only because this is what I desperately want for you in your marriage. So, here's the truth, a new mindset to take on, and your action step for today. I want you to write this down and practice this thought throughout the week. I am free to take responsibility for myself, for my sexuality, and I am free to love my spouse sexually. I am free to take responsibility for myself, for my sexuality, and I'm free to love my spouse sexually. Okay, my prayer for you this week is that God would work in your heart and mind in a way that's only possible through Him, and that you'd leave this episode not worrying about your spouse, where his or her heart is, or what he or she is or isn't doing, but that you leave this episode with a renewed commitment to love 
to seek relational intimacy first and to trust God for the transformation of your own heart and your spouse's. Looking forward to being back with you next week. Bye-bye. Love is not a battle Love is not a bond Love is just as fragile as it is